Hey, I'm Allison Hare, and welcome to Little Left of Center, the podcast that interviews culture changers that are reshaping our world and breaking new ground. I am so happy to welcome Hillary Billings to the Little Left of Center podcast. She is an on-camera host, celebrity interviewer, online influencer, former Miss Nevada, burn victim, and advocate, and host of the podcast Red Carpet Confidence. But my favorite part about her... She is focused on everything but the superficial. As you'll hear, she runs pretty deep. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Little Left of Center podcast. We are now on the road. We are in Nashville. So normally I record in Atlanta. That's where I live. But I happen to be in Nashville and and connect with Hillary. So I'm excited to be here and learn more about you. So thank you. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Welcome to Nashville. Thank you. It is one of my favorite cities. So I'd been doing some homework on you. You have got such a varied background. <laughs> and Thank you. We, no, it's it's wonderful. I think what you what you've accomplished, what you've been able to do, you're like a, a one woman rocket. Thank you. You're I've, welcome. I've been told uh, that I'm like the female version of the Dos Equis man. Like I'm going for the most interesting <laughs> woman in the world, and I think that's a fabulous moniker. So I'm happy to yeah to so go after that. When I was looking at your website, and it said Hillary is focused on everything but the superficial. Yes, and. I really honed in on that because you have a background as a former Miss Nevada, mm-hmm. on-air host, yes. an influencer, a writer, a lot of things, um, especially with YouTube. I think you've yeah. got a lot of um, a lot of exposure on there as well and have a huge followership. And so much of it can be written off so easily as superficial. And I want to understand, it seems like you're trying to break that or at least kind of break the convention of what people think when they hear of those things. So I'd love to hear a little more about your story. Absolutely. I have been on such an interesting journey uh, my entire life. And I've, I've grown up in production and you know got my degree in psychology and I wasn't ever planning on being in this world of on-camera and entertainment as an adult and, and pursuing it as a career. And what I found, the the long and the short of it, is that there is such a dichotomy between the real life of someone that you're interviewing and talking to and the perceived life that we see online. Yes. Um, and having had a background in journalism and seeing what we would publish versus the reality of who we were talking to um, – And not to say that we'd ever publish anything that was incorrect, but we just skew it in such a way where you wouldn't see when I'd have a conversation, oh, this person also is a a perfectionist or has anxiety or, you know, is clearly dealing with something else here. And that's not things that are talked about as widely uh, within the media, on social media. And I became very frustrated by seeing how social media in particular was affecting others, especially young girls, and seeing these highlight reels and seeing these filtered photos all the Photoshop that's being used, and that being skewed as reality. And we're seeing increases in in teen suicides, especially among young women, increases in anxiety and depression associated with social media use, increase in comparison levels. And I've I've run the gamut of experiencing my own levels of inadequacy and feeling like I'm not enough or not doing enough or not worthy. And I really want to be a part of a conversation that shows that there is more to, there's more facets to all of these parts of our lives and kind of bridging that gap in the conversation that's not being had because we all experience feelings of inadequacy. Mm-hmm. We all experience insecurities and, and battles with our self-worth, but we're not talking about it. And yet we're all on social media scrolling and looking at everyone else around us and comparing our lives to there. And it's, it's creating uh, so much mental health 
issues as yeah. well as just a lack of awareness of, of how we can better and more intentionally connect. So my entire mission now has translated from, you know, and I still love interviewing celebrities and, and part of my new podcast series, which is coming out, is, is doing that. It's talking to high profile people and these role models, um, but in a very different way about things that you normally wouldn't cover in a typical headline interview. Yeah, it seems like when you talk to people, there's a lot more depth. But I think what you bring to the table is a lot more fun. Like you're not afraid to be goofy. You're just kind of out there and silly. But I think there, I think you're, you can, because you're a beautiful woman and you have, you know, been doing some amazing things that you just peel one layer off and the depth is just really there, (laughs) you know? And I think people really resonate with that. So I'm curious to learn more about about your journey and what that has looked like. I, I know you said that you struggled with feelings of inadequacy. Yeah. And you grew up in Las Vegas, which is like a whole nother universe. It is. <laughs> it's like an alternate <laughs> world. You know, I mean, how how was that growing up seeing these showgirls? Yeah. Part of your part of the fabric of, of your life. I think the the beautiful thing about the position that I was in growing up, my father was a casting director, uh, producer and director for television and film and live events. So I grew up doing my homework on the backstage of Siegfried and Roy's set or in a corner booth at Studio 54. So crazy. And so, yeah. And at the time, I just thought it was a bunch of boring stuff I had to follow along with with my parents. You know, I didn't know that most people didn't hang out with lions growing up um, <laughs> or have friends that were showgirls. And so it wasn't until I was older that I, I recognized the impact of that. But I, I think the beautiful thing about having that glimpse behind the curtain is I got to see what the reality was behind a series of auditions. I remember once we were doing um, an audition for a huge band. They were doing a music video and I went with my dad and just sat there in the corner doing my homework and we must have interviewed 300 different beautiful models. They all did their dances. They put it all on tape. We compiled it and made our list of cuts uh, for this band. And after two weeks of interviewing girls and doing these auditions and and putting everybody through this time of taking out of their schedules and getting everyone's hopes up, they went in a totally different direction and decided not to hire anybody. And so, of course, Hmm. that's not the story that the girls hear, though. They just hear, okay, well, you weren't chosen. And so then that has an interesting effect on their personal beliefs of their self-esteem versus the whole the whole scope of the, the project change. But they don't get to have that that back end understanding. Um, I was working for Italian Vogue. I, I did a modeling sheet with them and there was a, a beautiful girl, 15 years old, but she was really struggling with liking herself. And I, I found it so fascinating that this girl who was beautiful was being photographed and put in this international fashion magazine and essentially telling everyone else, like, this is the standard. And then other women are going to go and look at these photos and then compare themselves to that image and, and hold themselves to this unreachable standard and and continuing to just have this grow and, and this ripple effect that we don't even know. Um so it was interesting in that regard that I got to see very early on how things outside of our control played into body dissatisfaction, played into self-esteem, which is part of the reason why I was so fascinated by psychology when I got to college. And I think that my my first major experience with feeling very inadequate was when I graduated. I was the number one graduate of my university, and I was rejected from every graduate school program that I applied How to. How does that happen? So I had applied to a very specific field of uh, eating disorders and body image because I wanted to continue doing research in that field. There's only 20 schools roughly in the U.S. that have Ph.D. programs for that. About half were accepting There's a Ph.D. Student. program for eating disorders? Yes. 
Wow. Yeah. So you can get your 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 doctorate uh, specific with uh, that focus of you become an expert in in that field. And so I did a lot of research in college around um, how group talk and we call it fat talk, like when girls are like, "Oh my god, I just want to lose five pounds." Yeah. Um, and I'm it's so normal. Fat. Yeah. It's right. So normal. And then how that plays into the psychology of like within a group, uh, keeping people in the group versus out of the group, and upholding standards. So I wanted to continue that research. I interviewed seven schools. I spent all of my savings to go around the country and do these interviews. And I had decided on this trip in Albany, it was like five feet of snow in February, that I was going to uh, purchase a ticket to a surf retreat over the summer. And that was going to be my last hurrah before graduate school. And it ended up being a trip that I went on to figure out what am I doing with my life? Because I, at that time, I thought my life was over. I had mm. been rejected. Nobody wanted me. As far as I was concerned, I wasn't good enough. And if I was a number one graduate and couldn't do this, like how bad was I or unwanted was I? Yeah. Um, and I remember once there was one of the rejection letters I got was actually addressed to somebody else. And somebody had just crossed out the name and pen and like written mine in and Holy misspelled it. God. It was like talking about <laughs> a, like a real low. <laughs> So um, so that was my first real experience with rejection and, and having this plan of like I had thought by going through college, you take all these steps, you know, you're going to get what you want at the end of this. And that was the, the first time that I recognized that just because you do things in the order that you're supposed to, quote unquote, doesn't guarantee you anything. Um, so I started traveling and writing about it. And it turned into this really amazing conversation between myself and people all, all over the world about what happens when life doesn't turn out the way that you want. And then now what? And it was really incredible. I started getting readers in, in over 100 countries, and I was doing meetup groups with women and men all over the world uh, that were just in a similar place of wanting to have adventure, but balancing that with building a career and, and what does that look like? And it was a really special time. Uh, I would say the second time that I another like, major life moment and, and decision was when I had just gotten back from living with the Firewalkers in Fiji for a month. And it was around the 4th of July. I went to a friend's 4th of July party and I ended up being hit in the chest with a malfunctioning firework. Mm. And so I suffered second and third degree burns to my body. And it was really ironic because I had spent so much time in school helping others overcome their issues of insecurities around their body image. And for the first time, like, I didn't know if I'd ever feel feminine again. You know, that's a very yeah. tough area to, oh, be, my goodness. to be injured as a female. Yeah. Um, and also, just side note, it's the slowest healing part of the body. So uh, doctors didn't know what my healing time would look like if I'd look normal again. And I just went underground. At the time, I'd been traveling for about three years. And I just, I, I burrowed underground and, and, was still posting stories, but no one knew what was going on. And I felt so much shame around an embarrassment about this had happened to me. And what was I going to do? Did you feel like it was incongruent with your messaging as well when you're really struggling with body image and you're promoting, you know, it's important to be confident in yourself, yeah, you know? Absolutely. I think that there's always a level of imposter syndrome when you're experiencing. And at the same, I've since learned that there is no need to like put forth that we know everything about mm. something that we're really passionate about sharing, um, which I think is why we're constantly interviewing and talking and having these these connective moments because we want to explore what other people have done to get through that. And at the time, I thought that I needed to know how to deal with it all versus just being honest and open about, hey, this this new life situation happened and I don't know what I'm going to do about it. And I don't think that my readership would have at all balked at the decision, but for some reason I felt like I needed to have it on lockdown and be the expert. And if I wasn't, then they wouldn't trust me. And in, in hindsight, I think that that was a, a, a silly decision. So I, I think any time 
you know, women especially, we deal with imposter syndrome when we mm-hmm. feel like we don't know everything there is to know about something that we're talking about. And what I wish I would have known in that moment is I didn't need to. And I could just have been honest with my readership about what was going on and that they probably would have been incredibly receptive and open and supportive of that while I started this new journey of of not traveling but having to deal with a major life, another major life challenge and overcoming that adversity. And what ended up, you know, really pushing me out of that, those feelings of, of embarrassment and, and insecurity was going back to the message that I've been promoting. I, I talked a lot in that blog about putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and finding a way to make them comfortable as a way to find self-growth, particularly related to travel. But I figured this could apply anywhere and I should take a dose of my own medicine. So nothing sounded more terrifying than being on stage in a bikini <laughs> and having someone judge me based upon my appearance. So I entered a beauty pageant. Oh, my God. (laughs) How did that idea come to you? I was very lucky right before I left to go to Australia and Fiji the summer prior. um, This was maybe three or four months before I was burned. I had met uh, who became my best friend, this this woman on a movie set, and she was a former Miss Nevada. And we spent two days back to back on two different movie sets. It was Now You See Me. with Morgan Freeman and then uh, I think it was called Paradise with Julianne Hough and I just she was amazing and so funny and smart and I'm like wow this doesn't look anything like what I thought a beauty queen would be mm-hmm. and she really wanted me to compete and I'm like no 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 I'm smart I have ambitions I don't not interested and once this this accident happened and I was dealing with these insecurities it's like you know I've got a support system and I've got somebody that would really be able to help me navigate this and it's if anything else, it's going to be a blog post. And that's what I went into it thinking, like, I'm going to have some self-growth. I'm going to get uncomfortable and I'm going to write about it. And that's that was the goal was just to do it and write about it. So when I won, it was very surprising and I thought they made a mistake and it ended up being uh, such an incredible year. I'm I'm very blessed and lucky to have had that opportunity and that the judges saw within me the potential to be a fabulous title holder. And I did hundreds of appearances. I started working for USA Today that summer which then translated into me doing red carpet uh, hosting for them and on-camera interviews and producing for E! News and going out to LA Fashion Week to walk in hot couture fashion shows. And it was it was a really beautiful experience that I think that any woman within that age group, if she's got a message, if she's got a business, this is a fabulous way to connect with other women, empower other people, to get involved with your community, and to really have a foot in the door. Um, I don't think at all that I was you know, the most beautiful woman in the state or certainly not the most highly achieving or whatever you want to say about what that title should mean. But I was one of the ones that showed up. And because of that, you know, that title, I was able to leverage it to get in the door in places that might not have looked at me initially and then show them all the value that I had to add. So I'm a big advocate for women taking that route and and what it can do if if you work the title. It's like anything else, right? You take mm-hmm. the opportunity and you run into the ground. And by the time I gave up my my crown that next year, my sash was so dirty. And <laughs> Where's oh. that crown now? <laughs> it is. It's in a, in a box in my closet. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's and not it's, even on display. Not yet. You know, and I, I would love to to put together uh, some sort of display for it. That sash needs cleaning. It's covered in tanner and makeup and coffee. And, <laughs> but that was the goal. Like I wanted to use it and I wanted it to be of utility. And it was really fabulous to see that we had triple the number of entries the next year. And we had a range of women from lawyers to business owners to publicists and 
that were all doing incredible things and all had a very specific reason as to why they were there. And I love that I got to be a part of changing the scope of, of what being a beauty queen meant. And I, I got a lot my year, like, oh, you don't look like a Miss Nevada. And at first I was very offended by that. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? I'm not like pretty enough to be a Miss Nevada and how dare you? And then as I started to really consider the meaning of that, it's like I am defying a stereotype that these people are associating with this title. And I think that that's a fabulous thing. And let's just continue to break those barriers. So I became very excited from then on out when anytime somebody would give me that comment. Yeah. So I feel like defying stereotypes is kind of your deal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just listening to your conversation, there's kind of a red thread that I'm seeing through it, that it seems like there is a, a view of compassion or empathy that you've had throughout your whole life. I mean, even just going into college from Vegas and yeah. thinking about eating disorders and people that are struggling with issues. And here's what people see and here's the reality. And how do we bridge that so people can be more confident and not spend so much time thinking about how they don't measure up? Right. Where did you learn that compassion or was that just, were your parents like that? What kind of kid were you in high school? Um, in high school, I was kind of the loner. And I think that that, I mean, I, I never quite fit in. I was bullied a lot in middle school. What were you bullied for? I, I think I just, I was different. I, I was told a lot I was teacher's pet and I had to like mm. look that up and I didn't understand what, what that moniker meant at the time. And I think more than anything, I was just an easy target because I was nice and I wore glasses and I was a little bit off and that I didn't quite have a specific group that I fit into. And I had a, f a mentor writer of mine, uh, a writer mentor of mine that talks a lot about how the people that don't quite fit in anywhere become fabulous writers because you're able to observe and see things from a lens that without that full inclusion. Um, you know, in high school, I, I moved schools a couple times and I had my, my best friend's boyfriend committed suicide our senior year. And then I had a, a really close friend commit suicide when I was in college. And so those... It's really hit close to home for you. Yeah. You know, and it was fascinating to see how that, that ripple effect affected everyone in our communities, us individually and so differently and what that grieving process looked like. And so I've got a, a big heart for um, people that are struggling with, with depression and anxiety and wanting to show them that there's there's life outside of high school. And I think for me and for many of my friends that I, I came close to throughout that time in my life is that you just you can't see beyond graduation and you can't see beyond these 30 to 50 people that you interact with on a daily basis. And so when someone in that group is being unkind to you and, you know, thank goodness, I was just slightly before I graduated slightly before, you know, Facebook and MySpace and like MySpace was a thing, but it was certainly not used mm. for what Facebook and Instagram is now. Um, when you have somebody that's in your circle that you see every day, that's being so cruel to you for no apparent reason, um, it bring it crops up a lot of emotions as to like how terrible am I that they they would feel the need to go out of their way to do this, mm. and um, I I ended up I had a lot of great guy friends in high school I didn't I wasn't really close with many females it wasn't until after in college and after college when I was in the the, the pageant community that I really started finding camaraderie among females and recognizing that like other women weren't out to get me and and being the one that would step forward and like I'm going to help you and like let me encourage you and support you and say good for you and when you're doing something that I want to do just fully backing you and supporting you in that and getting away from kind of these 
the backdoor conversations or the, the gossip circles. And, and I just stopped accepting that as being my reality and, and wanting to, to take different actions to be a different type of female leader. And so I think that all those experiences really wrapped me up into being motivated to do that because I, I just thought that was the normal. Uh, well, well, if you have female friends, then you're going to obviously have these, these dramatic moments and he said, she said situations. Or, yeah. And I, I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. I always ask this for people who travel. And you, yeah. I, I don't know if you always had a bug to travel or it just kind of was like, you know, let me just say yes. I don't know if you're one of those people that the answer is just yes, whatever you ask for. But, it, you know, through your travels, through the Nomad Grad, is yeah, that what it nomad was called? Grad, yes. <laughs> is it still there? It's it, not anymore. I took it down a couple of years ago and I didn't realize at the time, you know, looking back on it now, 2020 hindsight, uh, the power of an email subscription list and what I built on my own. And I was just so ready to have uh, a contract with a major outlet. And so when I got with USA Today and I did 300 pieces for them my first year. So it's like a lot of my attention went to building that career and less so much uh, the travel. And now I, I think the good thing is so much of that audience has still followed me. And what I've learned through that is they don't follow you because of a specific niche. It's because they follow you as a person. Yeah. Um, and so that's been cool to see that. As far as me having a bug, um, I always wanted to get out of Vegas. And <laughs> it's funny because my first trip I did was for a presentation. I was going to the International Conference of Eating Disorders in Austria, and I went by myself. And it was that was sounds like a blast. It was <laughs> there, and it ended up being a fabulous trip. And I, I turned into a great European adventure after that conference. But what I loved about that trip was that I realized how much I could rely on myself. And I think especially in high school and college and, and you're being so shepherded along the way and told to do certain things and not do certain things. And and suddenly it's like you wake up. I don't speak the language. I can't read the signs that are all in German. So what am I going to do today? I need to find some breakfast. Let's go find breakfast. And the cool thing about that is that every time I was able to, okay, well, you, you got through today. You got lost, but you didn't die. So Did you do it alone or yeah. it, was, it was just you? Just me. Oh, my God. And uh, and that was Girl, where you got balls to steal. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call a spade a spade. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and it, it, and what I learned is like every step along the way. Okay, we got through day one, and I'm still here. And in fact, I had a fabulous time. And yeah. and experiencing wonderment um, really brought more color into my life. And and so then that's when I I started really feeling the travel bug because that was an easy way to experience that adventure, that wonder, um, to learn to trust myself. And anytime I found myself getting lost in my microcosm in Vegas, it's like, okay, got to get on a flight and go somewhere else. And I've since learned ways to to get out of that that don't involve a plane ticket. But at the time, that was the easiest solution. Yeah. It was like, just go and see somewhere else and see how other people live and that this isn't everything and that you can you can be in control of that. And I, anytime, especially a female comes to me, it's like, I just don't know where to start. I feel like I'm stuck in my life. It's like, take a trip. And go don't, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And then don't make a plan and figure it out as you go along. And then learn learn to trust yourself and like be in the moment. And I'm it, having hard palpitations yeah. <laughs> just as you're saying that. I'm like, oh. And it's it's a beautiful time. And then, you know, they may never do it again. But I, I'm a big advocate for travel and expanding your horizons. And I think if we all did that at some point in our life, we'd be able to understand others and different perspectives a little bit easier. And it sounds like you got a lot of really personal lessons that have kind of crystallized in you. And I'm wondering, based on the cultures that you visited, mm -hmm. what do you think that they are doing right what do you know that you wish other people could know here in America if you were going to adopt something? 
Well, I think the first thing I would say is that we are all more alike than we would ever, I think, want to admit here. And I think it's really easy to get stuck in the fear mongering when it's like us versus them. And the reality is, is the same things that light us up are the same things that light them up. And when I was in Fiji, I mean, they're one of the happiest cultures in the world. And I think part of that is they put such emphasis on family and the present. Um, You know, Fiji time, it's there is no time. Like they say something's going to start at four o'clock. It might be four. It might be six whenever they feel like it. <laughs> and there's such a belief and a knowing in their mysticism and the beliefs that support that. And I think that when you transfer something from you wish you could believe in it and then you believe in it to knowing it and owning that you know something, that that pulls a lot of pressure off of how you interpret the world. You know, they're constantly communing with their spirits and their guides and, you know, doing these ceremonies to ask for the support of their ancestors. And, you know, when I was there, uh, the the father of, of the chiefly family passed away. And so even during this this crazy experience that I was having, there was no sadness because it was like, oh, well, he's just going to he's going to pass on. And now he's one of our protectors and now he's one of our guides and one of the elders on the other side. And I think that's a really interesting there's no loss for them when it comes to to that. Um, I went to Colombia a few years ago and I was given so much crazy advice before I went on that trip. And it was very scary going down there initially. And what I realized is that, you know, other places, especially that have poor stigmas on them, they don't want you to be kidnapped either. Right. You know, they they want they have so much pride in their country. It's just like we do. And, and I felt probably safer there than I would feel here because one, I was very aware as to what I was wearing, what I was holding and what was going on around me. And the people so wanted to ensure that I was safe. And, you know, when I got back to the States and just looking around, it's like people with the designer handbags and all their phones out and no one's paying attention to what's going on around them. It's just a whole different attitude of like flaunting the wealth. And I, again, I think that the the reality is it's like you can go and do a lot more than you think that you do. It's all about just intention and having awareness when you're there. When you talk about intention and awareness, your career is pivoting more towards so what is it? Red carpet confidence. Red so you've carpet got a confidence. new podcast yes. coming out. Super yes. exciting. <laughs> and tell me what that means. Tell me what your hope is to accomplish through this uh, through this medium. Yeah. So what I'm looking to do is to share stories, the the untold stories of high profile celebrities, achievers, pro athletes, and influencers about times when they felt inadequate and how they've authentically gotten through that to create authentic confidence. So when you think of a red carpet event, you think of someone super glammed up and like really looking their best and these amazing photos. And what I want to do is have that feeling that people get in that red carpet moment to be an authentic feeling that they can feel about themselves on the daily without all of the three hours of hair and makeup and special lighting. And and for me, it's, it's kind of taking that that backstage look at someone's life where you might see them on social media and what they post and think, oh, their life's so great, but they're not talking about the mental illness they struggle with mm-hmm. or how shy they were as a kid or when things went wrong. And to me, it's really important that we share those stories, um, not only so everyone can see that it's not it's not everything that the the media or social media makes it look like, but also hopefully provides them some insight as to how they too can then apply these actions or these perspectives or behaviors to their own life to create that confidence, create that connection. I'm just a big advocate for we need to be connecting more on an authentic level and 
the the go-to is to just get on the phone and scroll. And all that does is create more disconnection. So I'm very excited. And, and I've, I've been so lucky to call in a number of, of favors from friends of mine that I've met over the years in my career in media to get this off the ground. And it's I've been really just blown away by the response of people that like, yeah, let's do that. And let's talk about that. And, you know, I sat down a couple weeks ago with a senior advisor for President Obama. And he was just super excited to tell this side of his life that normally wasn't covered in the media. And I just think there's something really special about the fact that they want this too because they don't want to be considered a one-sided person or that they've had things handed to them or that everything just looks as glossy as it is. Yeah, it seems like your mission is just adding context so people can connect. Yeah. And I'm wondering, because a lot of your a lot of your living that you've made is through very superficial means of yeah. looking perfect, of looking this way. Would you change the industry? Is that your hope to change it? Like, do you wish Vogue had more natural and normal looking people? Or do you feel like there is a market for that? Or do you feel like that it is disconnecting people or just, you know, the people that spend two hours trying to get mm-hmm. the perfect shot on Instagram mm-hmm. so that they can get more followers? I'm all about doing what makes you feel good. Does that aggravate you, though, when you see those perfectly yes. posed pictures and yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's frustrating because like and having been a model, I mean, even just with in magazines and I'm grateful there's a number of laws that are going into place that are slowly changing things like um, I think it's come 2025, if not before then, all magazines have to put whether or not the images are photoshopped, mm. like some sort of label mm-hmm. on them. And so we're slowly making some strides as to like having that that clarity of, of the conversation. But yeah, it's frustrating to see, um, especially if I know people, what what they're posting and, and how if it's not aligned. I think that's what it comes down to. Like, is this aligned with who you are and your mission and what you want in the world? There are many women out there who love being incredibly glitzy and glamour and spending all day on makeup and hair tutorials. And you know what? More power to them. That's not my wheelhouse. I've never been strong in that case. And I've been really lucky to have teams of hair and makeup people to support me in that. (laughs) Um, And again, this all comes back to, for me, like what makes you feel good? If that's getting Botox or getting your nose done or getting your boobs done for you, like you do that. I've done all of those things except for the nose. It's like whatever makes you feel good and you look beautiful and you carry yourself with an air of confidence because this is probably all stuff that just makes you feel even more who you think you are on the inside, right? You know, it's funny because I am totally cool with Botox. I'm totally cool that I've got a a boob job. And one of the things that I related to with you is that I had a tummy tuck Mm, um, after I had my kids and it was horribly botched, horribly botched. And I had three surgeries to fix it. And it's still like there's still a lot of scar tissue mm. where there's certain things I can't wear. And I really struggle with, I mean, certainly there are more important things for me to worry about in my life. But I still struggle with like, I can't wear this two piece and I right. certainly can't wear anything that's too low cut, mm. you know, and mm-hmm. I have to make sure everything is like visually in a place where it's not going to show that or I don't feel self-conscious. And I hate that. Yeah, I hate that my mind is to that because right. I feel like... I feel like I can rationalize all of it, but it's still there. And right. I, I know I'm not alone. Oh, no. You know, and there are people that I don't struggle at all with confidence, obviously getting on a mic or sure. public speaking where other people that may be very difficult, yes. you know, no. I never worry about 
asking for what I want or deserve or whatever right, it is. Right. We all have our own things. Exactly. And I'm wondering how how did you get through that with your own burn and going in a bathing suit? Yeah. You know, like, did you cover it? Did you feel like, I don't know if it's yeah. healed now where it looks normal or if there's still skin that is yeah. a different texture? I'm really lucky in the regards that so what happened was the, the firework fuse this is now my own therapy no session, no and that's fine continue. and let's let's do this because <laughs> I think that this is so helpful for your audience because one like they're listening to you for your perspective and your understanding and for you to have the vulnerability and strength you're to say this is something that I've dealt with and I'm dealing with now and still struggle with today like that's we need more of these conversations which is why I'm just so excited to to be launching this podcast and, and having this motivational speaking uh, career around this topic we need to talk about it because everyone's got some Thing. And whether mm-hmm. it's they don't know how to speak publicly and they have a fear of that or it's asking somebody out or it's, you know, feeling like an imposter in their job or it's a body image. like And with most people, it's probably multiple things. So with with me specifically, I'm really grateful that over time um, they've healed really well um, in that moment. Yeah, like it was it was terrifying. I, I threw on some fake tanner just to like because I'm very white by na- by nature. Um, <laughs> so that helped a little bit. But overall, like I don't think that I had ever been um, in a bikini for any sort of like professional capacity and certainly not on a stage and certainly not being photographed and certainly not having somebody rating me on a scale of one to five as to, you know, what my swimsuit looked like, how I walked, what my, you know, figure looked like within my confidence levels in this swimsuit. And so it was a very out of body experience, like going out there of just, did you, know, you feel weird like it was when very you were weird. walking? Did you feel like, well, why am I doing this? Yeah. Or did you own it? I had, I, and I had so many nightmares leading up to this of like going out on stage naked and tripping over cords. Falling, of course. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just, I had no fun leading up to doing this pageant. And it wasn't until um, I was actually like meeting the girls and, and in the experience where it was kind of an adventure. But yeah, the whole thing is, is a terrifying position to put yourself in as a female. Um, and... I would say that, I mean, it just it went by so much faster than I thought it was going to. Mm. It ended up being not as big of a deal because even though everyone's looking at you and the reality is in life in general, people pay 30 percent plus less attention to us than we think that they do. And so it really comes down to where we're, our heads are at. And what and even since judging and coaching women in, in pageants since then, you know, when it comes to dresses or how you walk or anything else. I mean, I've been told by directors and the constant saying is it's not the dress, it's the girl in the dress. And what's funny is when, you know, women, I think especially regarding each other, we're quick to judge the attire, we're quick to judge the makeup, we're quick to judge the hair. And it really comes down to how is she owning this situation, even mm-hmm. if she's wearing a trash bag, because we can put her in anything else and, and she, we can teach her how to do this better. Um, but you can't you can't teach how to just own that situation. And so it comes down to just owning where you are and knowing that um, if somebody else has a problem with it, it's not because of you, it's because of them. And even going back to, you know, looking at being bullied in middle school. And it's like, it wasn't about me or anything that I was doing. It was something in them and what they needed to do in order to make themselves feel seen or feel better. And, you know, we see it now on social media with mm-hmm. the trolling comments. Mm-hmm. It's not because, you know, my video was deserving of of that. Co- maybe, you know, it's like they didn't like the content. That's fine. But, you know, to have people personally attack you, um, it's not because they know me or they like have any sort of real passion around what I'm doing. It's just because they need to say something. It's so much easier to knock somebody down than build it up. When it comes to your situation, I think it's so easy as a female, and I do it too, um, and I'll have to catch myself, where, 
you know, we know our bodies better than anybody else. And so we know all of our flaws inside and out. And so it's really difficult when we're comparing all the minutia that we have taken, you know, we've examined over the years and we have watched things change in our bodies. And I, I had to have a, a talk with my coach a few weeks ago. It's like, Oh, found a spot of cellulite. And my mind immediately <laughs> went to like, great. So by the next 30 years, like what am I body going to look like? And I'm going down this rabbit hole very quickly as to like what this meant. And she, and my whole message and everything kind of goes back to perspective. And so she was very quick to catch me and say like, well, what else could it mean? And like, you've, you've decided in this moment that, that having the spot of cellulite meant that you were going, to have you know the most cellulated legs forever and ever amen but what if that meant something else and and just going back to okay like what else could this mean your body brought forth two beautiful babies into this world and like your body is incredible and your body also survived having a botched surgery and so it's like what would what would sending love to that part of your body do for you and it's like it might not Girl, change it's gonna take a while <laughs> <laughs> but that's and that's where we start right it's like yeah. just changing the perspective of what this means and why you know why we're tearing ourselves down and also like what is it about that what what belief do you have mm. that's keeping you from being able to accept that part of you i've got a big fear of being too heavy mm-hmm. um just cuz people it's happened in my family sure. so I run the opposite way, but it had taken it had taken such a hold for so long. And I intellectualize all of it, you yeah. know, where I'm like, this doesn't mean anything, you right. know, like this doesn't make a difference. I feel like I have gifts to give the world yeah. and, and gifts that I've been like, I've always known that my gift is my voice. And I, I just have to figure out how to use it for good as yeah. much as I possibly can. So why do these things matter? But they do. And I think... I think because it is real for me, it does matter. And I think that the important thing about what you're doing and partially for what I'm doing, too, is that the community is where it begins. And I think because the Internet, the greatest part about the Internet is everyone has a tribe. Yes. Everyone has a tribe now. But I also think that finding, you know, like there were a lot of experiences I went through. I went through. IVF and then, Mm -hmm. you know, the botched Mm -hmm. surgery. And Mm -hmm. there were several other things that I went through of just having a natural childbirth after a C-section when four doctors told me I absolutely couldn't have one, you know, and being able to do it. But it felt like a very lonely, isolated place. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you probably felt that way as well, being a burn victim. There's so many ways to be burned, you know, like how do you find those people that can help coach you through it and, and find your tribe there? And I think that community and being open, and that's why I am so open and, and you know, I'm not trying yeah. to floodlight people sure. with all my troubles, but I also think it it's so important when people miscarry and when things yeah. happen to find, to be open about it because people will support you so much more. Absolutely. And I think that the biggest mistake that we can believe is that we're alone or we're yes. the only ones that have ever experienced this. And But so, it feels alone when you're on Instagram. Yeah, it you does. Know? It does. And I think part of that is the, the disconnection. When we're, we all know on some level what we're seeing is altered in some regard, and yet we're choosing to ingest it as reality. And we're comparing it to our reality, which we know is very different. And that goes back to the same thing of, you know, you showing up at an event or you taking your kids somewhere and knowing very well how you have interpreted and, you know, looked at your body and then looking at someone else and their perceived external and you not knowing like what the checklist of things that they Mm -hmm. went through on their body that day, you know. And so I think that that's where we start to see that that separation of, of reality in life and 
And the more we spend time on there or look for that at any point in time to bring us any sort of esteem or validation, like that's a dangerous place to operate of. I'm a big proponent of like you go on a diet, like what we consume and ingest not only with our our food, but also with our, our media really plays into our mental health and how we experience life. Everything we consume matters. I remember watching a friend of mine. She was really into Grey's Anatomy, which is a fabulous show. But Every Thursday night, something would happen where, like, come the next day, her life would be just a smidgen more dramatic. What? And there would she would start <laughs> for real. She would start <laughs> focusing on things that had come, like themes that had come up in the show. Yeah. That suddenly were playing into how she was interpreting her mm. life, and that was kind of my first That's kind of a law of attraction thing, too. Right. Well, and and that goes back to like you know what you take in is going to affect your lens of the world, which is going to affect what you focus on, which is affects how you feel. So. You know, needing to be very conscientious of how we're utilizing social media. Just like you said, there's so many amazing things about it. We can connect to people all over the world that previously we wouldn't have access to. We can find those tribes of people. They all exist. The Facebook groups are out there. The the Instagrams are out there. We can see these amazing foods and have the Pinterest boards and do all these crazy craft things that otherwise wouldn't have been shared. You know, have the ability to share these videos and, and ideas and, and see people's lives in ways that we haven't before. But if we're unintentionally using it as a distractor, you know, they say that social media, anytime you post something, uh, it becomes like you're gambling because mm. when you start to get likes, it's like a hit and that high of dopamine. Mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I won. And then you're just trying to replicate that. So if you're externally looking for that validation versus being able to internally provide it to yourself, um, and I think that all starts with what you consume. So utilizing social media very specifically for a specific purpose and like get on there, check your friends or your, your family's photos, add whatever you want to add, you know, connect with that community and then get the hell off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then go find. It's so hard when you're at the doctor's office yeah. waiting. <laughs> yeah, it's like bring a book, you know, get a find an article, watch a TED yeah. talk, find something that you can ingest that isn't as uh, tough for your system and your your mental health. Um, kind of like crowding out the bad too yeah. with more good. Just add more good. Yes, you know. Yeah, well, and, and that's it. The more you're focused on you know self growth or finding ways to affirm your own self worth, the the less you're going to be looking externally for it as well. And and you're also and when that does happen, then it's a nice you know oh that's that's nice. But you don't live for that type of significance. Yeah, and that's that's a major shift right now. I think we're we're all very focused on wanting that external validation. And I've been there too. And especially when it comes to creating video content where other people consuming my content, you know, for me is a major part of how well I think the content's doing and whether or not I had the right idea. And I've just had to learn and with, you know, the mentorship of coaching of many fabulous influencers that, you know, there's always going to be people that dislike what you're doing just because you're existing. And that's only because you're doing something that they know they could also be doing. Like the content that I'm putting out is nothing special. It's filmed on an iPhone. I write a script out that, you know, I had some inspiration from. My biggest video so far was on how having a girlfriend's like having a cat. You know, people, <laughs> somebody else could have written that. Like I got to be the, the vessel for that in the world. And, and you know, there you go. But that's somebody else could have made that video very easily and probably had it done just as well, if not better. Um, and I think that that's part of the challenge is people see others succeeding in ways that they, too, could succeed. And that's part of the reason why they want to rip you down is because 
by doing that, it gives them a justification for why they're not doing it. Do you have to mentally prepare yourself to read comments when you see that? Like, yeah. how do you process it? Because <laughs> it's not like you're just above it, you know? No. Like, nobody is Mother Teresa. No. It's like, whatever. That, you know, Mother Teresa would be in rehab if yeah. she was alive today <laughs> and was on social media. I've talked to a lot of influencers about this, and some of them just don't read the comments anymore. I mean, Taylor Swift has turned the comments off on her Instagram because yeah. she, she can't deal with it. She doesn't want to, and she doesn't need to. You know, Selena Gomez deleted her Instagram account because she doesn't want to deal with it for mental health reasons. So there's numerous ways of going about it. Um, I always, I mean, it's, I try to find the, the comments that people enjoy, have an engagement with them, because if I do that, um, I usually find that they can become lifelong fans. Mm -hmm. And then with some of the comments that are negative, I try to like poke fun at them. Um, you know, one guy had posted some comment about like, oh, you know, on, on that cat video, like, I bet she's got 30 cats at home. And I'm like, actually, I'm allergic. And like, that was my response to right. him. And and so sometimes when you engage with humor, um, people come around or they recognize that what they said was not maybe the most appropriate thing, or they don't even expect that you're going to read the comments. And so then it becomes almost this weird reverberation where they they have this consciousness about like, oh, crap, I, I hope you didn't take offense to that. I didn't mean it the way that it sounded. And there's this nice lesson learning moment that happens. Right. And sometimes it doesn't matter. And they're going to be jerks regardless. And yeah. I've had, you know, 15 year olds in different time zones say horrible things to me in direct messages. And and that's OK, too. But I, I think that the real 15 year olds, <laughs> once you start looking on right, yeah, yeah. profile, you, you, you go back. Like... <laughs> um, I have a, an influencer friend of mine. He does over a billion views a month on his uh, his channels. And sometimes if somebody's being especially mean to him and they're a kid, he'll go back through their profiles, find their parents, and then email them. Be like, hey, I just wanted to, like, I'm just really concerned about them. And here's some screenshots of what they're sharing. And are they okay? And then it's interesting to see how the parents suddenly... I would do that in a heartbeat. That right. sounds like the only way to do right. it. Right. And yeah. then parents get mortified and suddenly it all stops. And, yeah. and, and it's it's fascinating, you know, that people don't know what their kids are doing on the internet. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, putting yourself out in that type of environment where that's where you're creating your content, you're going to get opinions because that's what the platform is built for. And on some level, we need those opinions because that drives up engagement, which drives views, which drives the monetary value as well as the audience. Mm. And so, mm. you know, so it, it's like on one hand, yeah, you, you just don't want to get sucked into what the message means and internalizing it. I had a, a, a mentor say, you know, you can't weight all opinions equally. And that became very powerful to me and something that I have to keep in mind when I'm reading this comment section of like, if if I'm in the arena, there's a great Theodore Roosevelt quote about like being in the arena and the man in the arena is the one that's, you know, sweating and, and wielding the swords. You're in the arena right now. You're putting yourself out there. You're creating content. And so take your advice from other people in the arena with you that are just as vulnerable that are doing the damn thing and making it happen. Don't take your advice from those that are in the peanut gallery sitting up in the stands watching because they don't know. They're not doing it and they won't. And so their opinion shouldn't carry as much weight as those that are also in the arena with you. And what I found is really fascinating. Uh, two observations. One, those that have been bullied or those that have had adversity that they've experienced in their past are more likely to be the ones that are successful now um, and the ones that are eager to help others now and, and share in this compassionate moments. Um, and then it, it just becomes so fascinating when you when you talk to somebody else that's in the arena, they almost never have anything critical to say of you because mm -hmm. they know what it's like mm -hmm. to be there. And um, and if they're above you, they want to help you rise. And if they're below you, they want to continue to push you forward. So it's it's amazing 
how people in the arena have so much more compassion and encouragement and support than those that don't. And so it, it becomes very clear to just like separate them out and be like in the arena, not in the arena. Yeah. Opinions that matter, those that don't so much. Hillary, have you seen Renee Brown's new Netflix special? I haven't, but I, I keep oh, I need to. You would have referenced it if you did, because she sure. does a whole thing on that Teddy Roosevelt. I'm sure Roosevelt she, yes, quote, yes. Quote. It's called A Call to Courage. I highly oh, recommend yes. it. And when you do, please message me. I will. I will. <laughs> I think it's it is so groundbreaking. She's she, a fabulous oh, she's role model. Yeah, and again, like her whole platform, you know, shame and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like looking at wanting to solve inadequacy through perspective, and it's just so important yes, that we have. Yes. These conversations. That's a beautiful way to put it. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. I've got to, I want, I want to ask you a question. I'm so curious about that. So yeah. I was watching some of your videos. I noticed that you're very quick on your feet. Thank you. And when you see uh, people that are famous for interviews like Juliana Rancic and yeah. Ryan Seacrest, and they just pop up with things, is that how you always are? Is that like your superpower? I think it's certainly one of them. I'm, I've been very lucky. To, I mean, I, I took speech and debate in high school, which I think really prepared me more for life than anything else in that time frame. Um, and I, God, rec- I wish I was good at that stuff. I, I never recommend was. it to anybody. If you, you know, kids in high school, when they ask me, like, I want to be on camera house, what do I need to do? It's like, go go into speech and debate, mm, do impromptu. Yeah. Because if you can learn how to formulate arguments, even if you don't, like, you know, there were so many things that we debated, like, should we abolish the penny? You know, whatever. <laughs> and sometimes it was current event related and it keeps you in informed. Um, but being able to construct arguments for both sides, and then you don't know which side you're going to get, and then having to base what you argue off of what the other people are doing, or impromptu, you know, you get a topic, and it's like happiness. And then you have to create a seven-minute speech. You have 30 seconds, or maybe it's a minute, to put together a seven-minute speech in your head and present it there on the spot. And I think that that's what really set me forward in just cultivating that. I think it's something that can be cultivated. It takes practice. But yeah, and I think that also comes down to, I'm really grateful with my psychology background. Um, that is clear throughout our entire engagement uh, <laughs> and everything I've heard. Yeah. Uh, that Being able to read people's body language and where they engage and where they don't. And so so, you know, being able to flip a conversation very quickly if someone was not interested in that line of questioning um, and just being able to build rapport really quickly. Mm-hmm. Because when you can do that, it becomes easier to do any. You could ask anything. It doesn't matter because you're going to have a good time. Um, and so, I yeah, I think certainly memorization, being able to uh, quickly ingest information and regurgitate it back out has been always something I've been really strong at, which has helped me in on-camera hosting and presenting and everything else. And also, you know, just remembering facts about people. I remember I ran into a musician at some party a year ago, and and I I think the last time I interviewed him and his band was two years prior. I was like, hey, how's your puppy doing? And he's like, oh my God, you remember that I had a puppy? It means the world to people. Yeah, Yeah. but that comes down to like authentically remembering something and then having a conversation where I'm not trying to get anything out of him for it um, was really important to me to be able to just build rapport. And I was so grateful when I started with USA Today they sent me to do my first red carpet with their senior music reporter. And I think just to have him babysit me more than anything because they didn't know how it was going to go. But he taught me, you know, it's like it's worth losing the interview right now to build the relationship in the future. And it's like don't ask that question that's going to insult them mm-hmm. if you real if you care about where this is going to go in 10 years um and it's all and or if you have to it's like preface it like with hey just so you know i i have to ask this you don't have to answer you know and just making sure they feel comfortable with knowing that you're not gonna take what they say and twist it and i think more now more than ever there's a lot of fear around around that particular type of of reporting mm-hmm. um so being able to create rapport 
think on my feet. Um, and that also, it just being a humorous person. I think having humor in life is is such a fabulous superpower for so many reasons. One, it makes life so much more fun and palatable. Um, one, it also disarms people. Yeah, yeah. And, and it makes anytime you're dealing with adversity, you know, I just try to be like, okay, well, what adventure is going to happen now? And like, have this third person perspective of like, ooh, what is Hillary going to do here? And and really just being able to apply that anywhere in life has also been really fabulous. So what is next for you besides a podcast? Yeah. So podcast is launching here shortly. Red Carpet Confidence. We're talking with high profile celebrities, influencers, pro athletes, NFL players, uh, other on-camera hosts, uh, influencers about their moments of inadequacy, how they got through them. Super fun. I'm really excited about that and being able to bring that to the world. I've seen some of the names that you had. I'm like, wow, these are some really Thank good. You. These yeah. are some really interesting people. I'm excited. And hopefully it's just going to continue to grow from there um, as well as doing more motivational speaking. So looking to talk to youth leadership, women's groups, um, corporate corporations about how confidence and building confidence can not only affect your employees and employers mm. and, and you know stay-at-home moms, students, and where that can translate to more success and, and fulfillment in your life um, by having more conversations about these types of inadequacies. So building out all that content right now, um, still doing on-camera work, which is fabulous. And I'm, I'm just really excited to see how this continues to kind of to move forward. Also doing uh, more video content around motivational comedy. So I'm very what is motivational comedy. It's utilizing, I like it. Yeah, it's utilizing humor to tell uh, motivational, empowering messages, right? So, so how is that not um, like self-deprecating humor, which is so popular? Yeah, that's a particular type of of humor that yeah. you could use in that situation. Um, so, for example, motivational comedy would be my first video that I did, which I would I. I never thought I'd get into the space to begin with, but I, I did this video because I, I was trying to pitch it and everyone liked the idea, but no one quite knew how to execute it. And it was running out of time to make it relevant. And it was, you know, what it was like being a Hillary during the 2016 elections and just things that people would say to you. I'm like, hi, I'm Hillary. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to vote for you. I'm not going to vote for you. Or like, you're the one trying to take away my guns or yeah. all these interesting things. And so acting out that scenario and oh, then that's interesting. and then culminating yeah. with the message of just because I share a name with a political figure doesn't mean I want to hear your opinion and for that matter like what's what how are we serving each other in this situation and like maybe Hillary's just need hugs right now or maybe like any Donald's would need a hug right now and like <laughs> right. let's just agree we're all in this together yeah so having a message that's positive and finds a way to bring people together over maybe an issue that's uncomfortable or a little bit polarizing um, I did one on the Women's March, which essentially was just like, hey, the the largest grouping, a gathering, you know, peaceful protest, regardless of your thoughts on whether or not it should or shouldn't have happened. We have protested things throughout the history of our of being an American. I mean, in fact, the establishment of America was a protest. So, like, we have to respect it and we have to empower each other to, to have the right to do it. And it was very peaceful. And, you know, the fact that we could organize now because of what social media can do, that's impressive. So even if you don't like anything else about it, like these are the cool facets that we should focus on. And again, it's just perspective. Um, and I, I really want to do more about inadequacies and how to help people feel better in, in certain circumstances and, and 
utilizing some of the tactics that I've learned uh, over the past decade of experience being on carpets and, and talking to people to, to make them feel more authentically confident. I love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, you for having culture me. changer. Hillary Billings, I'm so glad you could join us today. And thank you so much. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your time in Nashville. Thank you. I, I always <laughs> do. I always do. Thank you. Hillary Billings really is like the female version of the Dostoevsky's guy. She might be the most interesting woman, but what I love most is how focused she is on helping others find their own competence and their own sass. <laughs> Links to find Hillary are in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear her upcoming podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, review, and if you care, please share. As always, thanks for listening to Little Left of Centered Podcast, and I'll see you next week.